The following is an exclusive presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation. Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. The Pirate Radio Podcast is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit WhiteClaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. Now live from the Pirate Radio Studio, here's Shirley Rhodes. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast featuring Jenny Shelton and ECU track and field coach Bree Berkowitz. The Pirate Radio Podcast is brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. On today's podcast, Jenny and Bree will talk about ECU's track and field program and how Bree came to East Carolina. Sit back and relax. Today's Pirate Radio Podcast presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer starts right now. Welcome in to another Pirate Radio Podcast. This is Jenny Shelton. And today I'm sitting here with Bree Berkowitz, the ECU men's and women's track and field coach. Welcome, Bree. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, we were just sitting here talking, and um, I wanted to have you down here today because I find you to be um, somewhat of a special coach because you uh, went to ECU as a pirate student athlete, and um and what did you do? What what sports did you run? So I was a track and field student athlete. I was actually recruited as a hurdler here. Um, and after my freshman year of running the hurdles, I was messing around doing gymnastics outside. And our pole vault coach at the time, who's now our throws coach, um, you know, said, why have you never tried pole vaulting? Because that's a pretty good, it's a pretty easy transition from, you know, gymnast to get into the event of pole vaulting. Um, and I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I never thought of it. It wasn't that big in my high school. So, you know, he said, okay, how about if I teach you to pole vault and you still are able to hurdle, is that a deal? And I said, okay, deal. As long as I can continue hurdling, you know, I'll learn the pole vault and loved it. Um, he, Coach Price is an amazing coach. He's now our throws coach. Um, he taught me everything I, I knew. Um, but yeah, that's how I got into pole vaulting. Um, and. You know, I wish I would have started it earlier than college in hindsight, but it was it was definitely enjoyable doing both the hurdles and pole vaulting. So how long has he been a coach here? Oh man, he came um my the end of my freshman year, um so two thousand four. Time flies. Oh yeah. <laughs> so so how do you technically like do a pole vault? So what was the way he taught you and how like were you not scared that you're just going to go crashing into that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there definitely is a fear element involved for sure. Um, but I was a gymnast. So I think some of that fear you're kind of used to dealing with. And you you honestly have to be a little crazy to be a pole vaulter or a gymnast. Um but first, you know, I mean, I, I literally started learning with like holding the pole, you know, holding the pole, walking with the pole, jogging with the pole, running with the pole. And then you start to learn how to plant the pole into the box. You know, if you run, if you watch pole vault on TV, you know, they're running down a runway, they plant the pole into a box and then they catapult themselves up in the air and over the bar. Um, so you have to take it down, you know, break it down step by step of running with the pole, planting with the pole, jumping off the ground. There's a lot of things that happen in about five seconds or less um so it, it's it's a pro, it's definitely a process of learning it and then at some point you just go for it you just go for it and hope for the best <laughs> 
I completely understand the um, slightly daredevilish side of sports. I rode horses for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you just have to go for it and yeah. then hope you don't fall off or yeah. crack your head open. Yeah, absolutely. So you were at ECU from 2003 to 2017. Uh, or seven, seven, sorry. Yep, yep, seven. And then I stayed, um, so 2003 to seven, I was a student athlete. And then I stayed for grad school. And so I was here actually until, I guess technically 2009, except I had left for my internship to go down to Miami. So I competed for four years. And then during grad school, I was a GA with the men's basketball team and academics and also volunteer um, track and field coach. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. So then you went down to Miami and then you ended up coming back here. I did. Yep. Yep. I remember when I accepted, you know, the offer back here, Coach Kraft was like, are you, are you sure you're going to leave Miami? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> so you were, so I did a little research on you and um, so you went and left to try to do like what you went to school for, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah. And, and then what brought you back to wanting to be a coach at ECU? Yeah. So I have a pretty crazy story um when I left when I finished grad school I did two internships one was with sports broadcasting actually and then the second was down at University of Miami's and that was with their athletic department um so when I was down there I was doing travel and events loved it loved working for UM um and I I really enjoyed living in Miami but I needed a job so I ended up working with the Miami Heat for a little bit um which was super exciting in the sales and marketing realm of things and then worked with the Florida Panthers and did some other things with sports and ESPN. But then I realized like, I really do love coaching. You know, my undergrad was in teaching, my master's in sport management. I, um, my dad has been a track coach for my whole life. So I really okay. love, and he was a teacher too. So he, I kind of got it from that side from him, but um, my passion was really coaching and teaching. Um, so. I got back into coaching down there doing like gymnastics coaching actually and then this position here opened up and it was really a no-brainer you know like I love I love what I do um you know I love coaching these student athletes not just to become student they're successful athletes but like to become better people and um you know I truly enjoy playing a role in their lives because they are still so young and they're, you know, away from home for the first time and then they're having to go through all these things that a student athlete has to go through. So they can probably really feel like a fish out of water. So that's another side that people probably don't think about. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they're coming from very different places, very different backgrounds. Some are used to being away from home. Some have never been home away from home in their lives. You know, just life things like writing a check, doing laundry, things like that, that, you know, people don't really think like coaching you know, encapsulates, but it, but it does. I mean, when you take on a role of a coach, you also take on a role of like a mentor in, in several areas of their lives. You know, you are their person away from home. You know, their families entrust us to take care of their sons or daughters. And, and we take that really seriously here. So, Bree, what is the day like for an ECU track coach? Like, what do you guys, what do you weight lift? Do you run? Do you just run every day? Yeah. Like, what kind of things go on? And <laughs> do then, you run every day? And then we'll... <laughs> yes, the answer to that is yes. No. Um, each day is different. You know, that's what I think the awesome part about our jobs is that there's never two days are the same. You know, our days consist of you know, it can be meetings. Uh, we do a lot of planning things, recruiting things, practice planning, meet planning, travel things. Um, and then, of course, our practice time. And then the student athletes have weightlifting times. There's um, prehab and rehab times with the athletic trainers. There's study hall times that I 
fortunately don't have to go to study hall anymore, but um, they have that as part of their daily routine. Um, you know, I think it's funny sometimes when you talk to people and they ask you what you do and you say, I'm a track and field coach. And, you know, their first response is like, oh, cool. Like, what else do you do? You know, like, what do you do in your daytime? And you're like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? That is that is my life, you know. Um, so I think it's important for people to realize, like, coaching track and field is sometimes like the least amount of time, like the practices take the least amount of time of your day and everything else is very time consuming. Um, recruiting is is huge and I am responsible for the day-to-day, a lot of the operations as far as traveling and you know the inside administrative things that sometimes are not the most glamorous, but they have to get done. And um, But that all goes into a day's work. And those are like rules, regulations. Oh, yeah. The things that you send out, the things that you can't when you talk to them. Yep. And so, like, how far out do you recruit? Like, do you are all over the country? Mm -hmm. What's what's that? What's that like? Yeah. So, as far as like geographically, um, you know, we look everywhere. We obviously look a lot to North Carolina and Virginia. We want to keep the North Carolina kids home. um, And the surrounding states we predominantly see but um you know we recruit a lot of east coast pennsylvania new york new jersey florida um but you know we've had some international kids on the team too we've had some kids from out west so it just really depends on you know what we need for the program and and who's the best fit for the program and you know their academic major you know sometimes they have family ties here so there's a lot of factors that go into recruiting and as far as how far out age-wise um we can look at, you know, if we go to a track meet and a kid's in ninth or 10th grade, like we certainly watch everybody there, but you know, there's definitely rules on who you can talk to, like you were saying. And um, and with track and field too, let's say somebody has a mark in ninth grade. Well, they're, they're developing a lot from ninth and 10th to 11th grade. So their marks change, their speed may be different. So, you know, a lot of the sophomores and juniors, that kind of gives us like a little bit of a better idea of what they're gonna look like when they would come here. Um, Especially but, for the boys. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Those late bloomers. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, and females, too. I mean, they go through a lot of changes. That's and, true. You know, and that's that's normal for everybody to go through. But we there's a lot of factors that go into the recruiting process. And what their marks are um, sometimes isn't necessarily the only indicator. You know, we look at their athleticism, what sports they play. Because they're going to change in college, too, once right. they get in the weightlifting program sure. and doing all the other things. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right. Well, um, so most recently in the news, you had a girl pole vault and broke a record. She did. Summer night. 13 yep. feet? Yeah, uh, it was over 14 feet. Was, she jumped 4.35 meters. Set the EC record it for is. pole vault. It is. Yes. Look at your smile. You're still so happy <laughs> from it. Um, tell us what that was like. Yeah. She is one of the most solid individuals anyone would ever meet athletically academically socially as a person um you know we've had such a good relationship through i mean four years this would be this is gonna be her fifth um and um i just couldn't have been happier for her you know just seeing through or seeing her through like you know her freshman year sophomore year junior and then covid um which that was hard for a lot of student athletes you know to go through those times where you know summer doesn't belong to a club so that's a lot of that was a lot of time with no pole vaulting um what was that so we'll we'll come back to summer so like what where were you guys at when that shut down briefly and then like kind of what did you have to go through and get everybody back because 
that running and and all of this is a lot more endurance. You can't just like shoot some hoops and get back. That's right. right. That's right. So I remember exactly where we were. It was spring break and Coach Kraft was out of the NCAA indoor championships with one of our throwers, Ryan Davis and Coach Price. And there were these talks about, well, I mean, COVID had been, you know, people were knowing about it, but um, and I remember the athletes were asking, you know, what's going to happen? Are we going to miss practice in class? And I, I specifically remember being like, no, like we're, it'll be okay. You know, it's they'll figure real. this out. Yeah. And then and I saw Duke had canceled classes or postponed something, and I was like, oh gosh, like maybe maybe this is kind of real. And we were at our team dinner here on campus in our Olympic teams building in the hallway, and I got the call from Coach Kraft that they had like in the middle of practice session at NCAA championships called the championships. So all these people that were at NCAA indoors are trying to find flights home. Oh, and where was that at? It was in New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. And so they're trying to figure out how to get home. All of our, you know, social media, once something hits every, you know, everyone knows about it. So they're asking what's going to happen to our outdoor season? Are we going to have a season? And, you know, all these questions that no one had any answers to. And it was scary because you didn't have any answers. Right. And, you know, we tried to have as many team meetings as we could to try to keep them, you know, as calm and give them as many answers as we knew, which was very limited at the time. Um, and then it just, you know, got to the point where, you know, we had to send them home. And that was that was really hard, what, especially for those seniors that were getting ready for their senior outdoor season, that we didn't have an answer if this was going to be the end or not. And there was a lot of people that there was kind of a lot of... Um, not really like we couldn't say goodbye to them you know right. and they went home thinking that they were going to come back in a few weeks and that never happened um which was very heartbreaking for them i mean i i can't even imagine having been in their shoes when you are ready like you're just very excited for this last kind of super focused into like making it right, your last hurrah right. and then you don't get and anything then you just go home yeah um and so we like you know i gave the training program to the pole vaulters because we were allowed to like send them things but it wasn't it could not be mandated because of the situation um we had a lot of zoom calls i was gonna say how many zoom calls did you have oh my gosh i'm about over zoom calls (laughs) (laughs) Um, we had we started out having them weekly and then it was like you know we're talking about the same Same things yeah we're all looking at the wall we did our workout (laughs) and i would ask him you know how was your week and eventually it was like coach bray it was it's the same thing (laughs) you know i'm doing the same thing every day me too yeah yeah so we didn't do the weekly thing much longer but you know i would talk to them on the phone as much as i could and um try to keep them in touch because that was really like the saving grace of like just staying and you know because there wasn't any definitive plan as to when we they're going to come back like um, I remember walking around ECU and just watching the grass grow like two <laughs> feet tall. Like there wasn't a soul in sight. And so, yeah. you know, we nobody knew really anything that was going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I heard uh, John Gilbert and a lot of other coaches reference mental health. And it sounds like you were right there on it as well. Yeah. Just knowing that they can contact you for anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're freaking out, you know, mm-hmm. or just a situation where they didn't yeah. normally wouldn't be home to have to deal with. And, you know, a lot of these student athletes are very type A. You know, they, they like structure. They like discipline. And to go from a very regimented daily schedule to nothing was hard. You know, I mean, it, it was hard for us. And. So we tried to do as much as we could with, you know, keeping them on any kind of schedule that we could. That's why we did the Zoom calls and the team calls and emails and different things like that to try to keep them 
you know, involved as much as we could and to try to keep them on some sort of routine. And, and like you said, they all go home. So home is, is very different depending on who they are, you know, and some had access to a track and facilities, but some pl- places that they lived were completely shut down. So they had no, li- they had no access to anything. And, you know, um, it was challenging, but I, I do think, you know, as we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I hope at least it seems that, you know, it's definitely made people stronger, you know, like stronger and appreciate all, all of the things having back, even if it is a little more difficult and things are a little slower, you have to go through a little more process. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, for the most part, we're all still just so thankful to have things getting back to normal. Yes. And, you know, even when those students came back, they were on online classes, so they still didn't have like structure really, but then oh, they yeah. had to go to practice and figure out how to do these online classes. So, I mean, it was still really tough. Oh yeah. Through, even through this year for any of the athletes that competed. And then they did all what, 15 sports in one semester? This is the craziest spring. I, I feel so, I felt horrible for our operations crew. They and did an amazing God bless job. them for, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree, it was definitely, a trying time but and like you said it definitely also uh, makes you appreciate things you know like in a in a couple of days that season was taken away and I think coming back and I think that's part of like summer's story yeah, also is you know it really we had a talk like you know at the beginning of there with all the team and the pole vaulter specifically like in saying you know we've we had this just ripped out from under us you know like the season was gone and you know for a lot of them it just want, kind of one of them to they wanted to come back even more motivated and disciplined and they did i mean the team did great the pole vaulters at our outdoor championships i mean they went they went um five for five prs their personal records which is unheard of at the same meet to do that's awesome yeah so they they definitely took um a situation that could have been super negative and they made definitely a lot of positives out of it yeah well that's so awesome so pole vaulting is obviously like your thing yeah oh i love pole vault but you help with everything else that track and field what other things do you dabble in sure so i i do a lot of our day-to-day program logistics like i do all of our travel um coach craft and i work closely with like the financial things and um you know academics and teamwork you know different things that go along with the program um but yes for event wise it's the men's women's pole vault so you've won two conference championships with the track and field team, That's summer it. making EC records. I'm sure there's more kids that have records that have set yeah. um, in your coaching career. Yeah. And so um, one, another name I wanted to mention was Tanitha. Tanita Butts, yes. Okay, yep. yeah. So she's going to Tokyo, yes. correct? Yep. And she's going in what? The high jump. Okay. Yes. So what is that compared with? pole vault and did you coach her are you yeah i did not coach her um she is just a gem she is like oh she's got the personality of no one i've ever met she's just (laughs) awesome she's a ball of energy but no i did not coach her directly um she actually had coach blaney who he's no longer here but um and they had a really really cool relationship um you know they just had an understanding that is really important to have as like the coach student athlete relationship but yeah she had an amazing career here um and then has obviously moved on and now she jumps professionally and you know she's had a crack at the olympics a couple times and different like world championships teams but it's been really cool to see her break through this year and make it well so how does that work for explain that to me like if you when you leave college 
where does the professional track pick up for these athletes and then like how do they get to the olympics sure so it's it's track and field it's it's kind of difficult because when you when you finish your college career and you want to compete professionally you usually either stay at your school and train with like your college coach um, or you're going to move and you need to find either a club or a private coach somewhere else. So, um, you know, it's different than like a football or baseball, basketball, where you you are going to play with another team. You know, like this is kind of instrumented by yourself and you need to um, really like figure a lot of things out logistically of what the best situation is going to be for you. So Tanita moved around. I, I believe she's in Louisville right now. I could be wrong. She was in Kentucky at some point. Um, but you have to find a coach that works with you, you know, if you're not gonna stay where you are in college. Um, so it's, it's tough and like, you know, I think a lot of times people think, it's just great, I'll just keep training and, and getting better, but what they don't realize sometimes is that for some people they need that team atmosphere and a structure. You know, you don't have somebody telling you you have weightlifting times, you don't have somebody telling you practices from two to four, you don't have athletic trainers just, just at your call, you know, being able to give you prehab and postab and, everything else that you may need as far as like the medical modalities of things. So your resources most times are very limited or, or I should say more limited than they would be at your college experience. So it, it definitely takes a lot, you know, and I applaud all these professional track and field athletes that are being successful because it, it is, it's challenging. Yeah, it sounds like, you know, the elite of the elite, really, yeah. like, it's, it's on you. Right, and there, there's there's money involved for those that are successful. Um, you just, you have to be pretty successful, you know, and and certain events um, are worth different amounts of money, you know, if you, okay. when, like, sometimes, like, sprints are worth a little bit more than field events, but, uh, and just depending on the meet, too, but... You know, it's been really, really neat to see like our NCAA championships. Like we were out in Oregon, and then um, the Olympic trials were out there, and the marks that um, these athletes have made are are extremely impressive. You know, it's really the, the sport of track and field has grown so much, and it's really cool to see it continuing to grow. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Um. So, you, Olympic is consider professional so they can't be in college and you can okay you can, you can. yeah you so can crossover yep yeah there's some that are still NCAA athletes that compete for the Olympics and that's fine yeah but there's definitely a mixture there's some professional athletes and then there's some NCAA athletes also and so there's no is there any age limit to that either no uh no I think there might be a minimum I couldn't tell you exactly what it is. I mean, you, if you're 50 years old and you're making the Olympic team, more power to you. <laughs> That's so true. You're definitely outrunning me. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, so, Bree, you know, you're a women's coach, men and women's coach, but as a female athlete, like when you started at ECU and um, where it is now, Title IX definitely has helped, but, um, you know, how have you seen the sport from women grow? Track and field? Yeah. And just um, in general, yeah. you know, just the NCAA and yeah. sports in general. Sure. I think that um, over just, you know, when I came here as a freshman to now, um, there's a lot more respect for the female athletes in this sport. Um, I think, you know, a long time ago it was like, okay, you know, these men are really, really fast and they jump really high and throw really far and like, and girls, you know, if you can keep up, that's cool. If not, you're good. But now, you know, like there's a lot more competitiveness to the sport and on the female side. And, you know, it's it's extremely pre impressive watching some of these female athletes do what they do, you know, and to the level that they do. And we, 
I say we, like at least the female coaches, are a very tight knit group. Um, I'm part of like the female coaching mentorship program. Right, that's so awesome. Yeah, and um, there's a lot of support. And I think that, you know, as far as on the coaching side of things, it used to be like you need to choose whether you want to be a coach or like you want to be a mom or a wife. And now it's kind of, it's nice to see that you there's a lot of people that do both and can do both very successfully. And I think for the student athletes that are females, they, they are seeing that also. You know, they're seeing that there's more of a real level of respect for the women's side of the sport. And, um, you know, I think that comes from a lot of both gender programs, you know, a lot of programs, and there's still some single gender, um, but a lot of the single gender programs are female, you know, and yeah. But and I think there's just a lot more respect and understanding of, you know, they they work this, they work hard too, you know, like they deserve and, every bit of success just like the men do. And they're out there practicing at the same time, doing the same thing, and all of that as well. Right, right, yeah, same. No one has different hours, you know, like the men and women practice the same amount of time, and there's no like you know, oh, you get more time than this time. It's, it's very equal, you know, and and I I coach both the men and women and I truly enjoy coaching both the men and women for reasons, I mean, it's like a family. Do you, do you do anything different for the men? Like, do you coach them any differently? Talk to them differently? Do you talk the girls different? Um, I think <laughs> I would say I coach them differently individually, not not men and women differently. Like, personality. I think personality, right. Because, you know, I've, I've coached some men that, um, the more you say, the less beneficial. You just got to tell them how it is, you know? But I've coached some females like that too. And right. then sometimes the females might need a little bit more explanations at times or, you know, could tend to be a little bit more emotional, which is fine. But then there's men like that too. So I think it just depends on the personality. And I think our role as a coach is to get to know the individual, you know, and what makes them work and what the best way to, to speak to them and communicate with them and, you know, it's not so much, oh, I, I coach the women this way. Like, I coach the individual a certain way. Yeah, it's all about finding that start button that's yeah. going to get that fire going. Right. And, I mean, some people do like to be yelled at. Some people will crawl in a ball and yes. cry. Yeah, and you learn. Well, I'm not like a yeller. I mean, I've yeah. had coaches that are like that, and I, I, don't, I don't deal well with that. <laughs> no, you don't want to be yelled at, so why would you yeah. do that to somebody else? Right. Can we just talk it out? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, that's exciting about women's sports. Um, you know, I've played not in a collegiate level. I did club sports, but, um, you know, it's just nice to see us growing and climbing and getting that respect. Right. Um, so what are your opinions on this new thing going on called NIL? Name, wait. Image na- like Yep, name, image like yep. sorry. You know, I have conflicting thoughts about it. Um, have you gotten a lot of information and guidance on it, first off? Yeah, our so Alex Ketty, who's our director of compliance, and her department has done a wonderful job. Um, they've really, she's great. Like every new um, legislation that comes out gets sent to us, she explains it, she's readily accessible to answer everything. So um, yes, I think there's still a lot of unknowns with it in general, not just here, but just, I think it's new. So. There's a lot of, you know, schools that are going to try to toe the line and, you know, kind of see how far they can get. Um, I'm not, I honestly am not sure my true opinion about it. I think it could be great, but I also could think it could change the direction of NCAA athletics, you know? I mean, it could really change college sports. So, um, you know, there's certain sports that I think are going to benefit more than others. There's certain schools that I think are going to benefit more than others. There's certain schools in certain locations that I think are going to benefit more or less than others. 
Um, I wouldn't call the NCAA ever fair, so that doesn't, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, they, doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, they they tend to do what they want, and so like this, it is just it just fascinates me. Like, what what can we do here at Pirate Radio with the student athletes? Like, is it for the student? Like, we want you know. I, I don't it just all fascinates me so like yeah what, what are what have they told you right about it? you know I, and I think and what do you tell your players yeah I so track and field is a little bit you know it's unique in that you know it's not a football or a basketball or these sports that these those specific student athletes might be on the face of everything you know right. um, and that's not saying that there aren't track and field athletes that aren't because I definitely know there are some that are probably very much sought out for this um but, you know, I've talked to some of them and some love it and some hate it. You know, like some are very, you know, adamant on this is taking away from like our experience and the reason why we do this. And and then there's some that are like, I'm going to try to make as much money as I can, you know. And, you know, I think as far as recruiting, it can change some things, too. But, you know, I can tell you it's not going to change the way that I recruit. You know, like I I'm not going to recruit and tell you you're going to make all this money. Like I want to recruit you because you fit for our program and and hopefully it's reciprocated, you know? Right. We're st- I'm still going to go after the same kind of people, you know, and the same kind of athletes. But it will be very interesting to see, like, over the course of time, how this affects people, the programs, you know, in all sports. Yeah, I mean, I think going back to the women's talk, like, when the women could potentially optimize on this yeah, just as much as the men. And maybe, you know, I'm, I just feel like there's a market for women image likeness maybe even more than men yeah at this right. point i mean it's society in a in a way of um how it works so i mm-hmm. mean it should be interesting maybe it could help even some things out and sure yeah bring us a little more power right right the there's definitely a need well you know because of whole the, this thing there the whole nil um you know you definitely see like i've seen some gymnasts be pretty successful with this and you know, different different athletes. So yeah, I agree. It'll be interesting to see how how this works out. Well, um, Bree, thank you so much for coming into Pirate Radio. It's been so much fun talking to you, talking about pole vaulting. Um, you went to ECU for five years. You've been coaching for nine. So I mean, you've been here a long time. What makes Pirate Nation so special? Why have you been here so long? There's nothing like Pirate Nation. The family atmosphere, the support, uh, the camaraderie. You know, you come into Greenville, and even if you've never been in Greenville in your life, you know, you're surrounded by purple and gold. You're surrounded by good people. You're surrounded by pirates um, that just take you in, and it's it's truly a special place. Well, I agree, and um, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This was great. Yep, and um, that is it for today's podcast. We will talk to you again soon. Thank you. What another great episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast with Jenny Shelton and special guest ECU track and field coach Bree Berkowitz. Special thanks to our sponsor, White Claw Hard Seltzer. Look for White Claw at your favorite retailer next time you're out shopping. White Claw Hard Seltzer, available in five fruit flavors, two grams of carbs, gluten-free and only 100 calories, and nothing tastes quite like it. We'll be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio Podcast. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your Apple Store. You can visit 
visit our website at pr927fm.com and follow us on social media as well to keep up with the latest news and information. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. You have been listening to the Pirate Radio Podcast, brought to you by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Nothing tastes quite like it. Visit whiteclaw.com today. White Claw Hard Seltzer, proudly distributed by Coastal Beverage. Please drink responsibly. The Pirate Radio Podcast is an exclusive presentation by Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.